0: church would you stand with us as we worship this morning it's so great to be back with you all and this morning we're just going to worship the god who existed before time the god that will exist forever and eternity the god who is holy would you sing with me god will is working behind the scenes because it says in Philippians 1 verse 6 and I am sure of this that who that he who began a good work in you will bring to completion at the day
1: communion so if we look into the gospels we see that jesus is with his disciples this is this last supper that he's having before he goes and he he uh dies on the cross for our sins and so he takes this piece of bread and he breaks it and he gives it to the disciples and he says take this for this is my body he takes the wine and he 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 passes it around and as they drink he says drink this and he says this he says do this in remembrance of me Now, when we think about communion, this should be a time for us to remember. Romans 5 says, God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for our sins. You see, this is a time for us as we take communion, as we take the bread, as we take the wine, we remember what Jesus did for us. We release what we walked in with through these doors, whether it's stress, anxiety, whatever we may be going through in life, this is a moment where we remember we remember that God is a way maker. We remember that he's a miracle worker. We remember that he's the initiator in this whole scenario. So I wanna invite you guys with your families as you come up to take this time to remember. And if you need help, if if you're unable to make it uh, to the front, please raise your hand and we can get you guys a cup and a cracker as well. So I wanna invite you guys again, come forward please, take, uh, take this, this cup, take these crackers, and when you're finished, we have these small baskets here you can dispose of these cups. But let me pray into this time and we'll continue to worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're the waymaker. We thank you that you're the miracle worker. We thank you that you are our light in the darkness. We thank you that you've loved us first. We thank you that you have died on the cross for our sins that it doesn't require us to do anything but you've done everything so would we remember this morning what you have done would we remember who you are in jesus name we pray amen let's worship
0: The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Thanks be to God, who gave us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 15:56 through57.
2: Good morning everybody. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado, I'm the lead pastor here. Some people wonder like, why do you introduce yourself every week? I know your name. Uh, I know, but there just in case there 's that one person who's here for the first time we 're glad that you 're with us today, maybe you 're online checking us out. Welcome to our church. I know there is at least one family who just adopted a baby girl and they 're probably home today. We love you, we see you we 're glad that you 're hanging out with us uh, yeah that's a good that 's a good thing real quick. this is hilarious, but if you own a Black Ford escape. Uh, 8RQH823, you left your car in neutral and it has rolled out of its parking spot up in the north side. I would recommend waiting two minutes and then going and moving it. That way nobody knows that it was you. We'll just assume there was a restroom. You did it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, that's pretty hilarious. But um, I told him to tow it. And so if it's not there afterwards, <laughs> that's what, I'm just kidding. But anyway, welcome to Cameron Community Church. We're so glad that you are with us this morning. Uh, if you are newer to our church, you know, six months, two years. So I hang out on the patio afterwards. I'd love to kind of put a face with a name here, a story about how you got here. That's always kind of fun. So please don't feel shy. Please come and say hello. Well, let me jump right in it was about nine to 10 years ago, I think most of you guys know that my wife and I made the decision to foster and then adopt our our bottom two, our our youngest two. They're both teenagers now. But nine or 10 years ago, they were little kids. And uh, we made that choice together. It's not a choice that we push on everybody. We think you need to be called of God to do it. There are certainly challenges along the way. And and when you have that calling from God to do it, you'll be able to overcome any of the challenges that that come your way because you know that God called you to do it. And so if that is you and God's calling you to do it, don't stop before you do it, because it's also one of the most rewarding things you could do in your life. And, and I mean that with my whole heart. Uh, one of the most rewarding and yet challenging things we've ever done was to adopt. And I remember really young, really early on, uh, before we actually went from foster care to adoption, there was a period of about two years where we were waiting for the court systems to, to do, the, do their deal, and to where they actually became part of the Hurtado family. But uh, I remember early on, there was an incident. Where um, my one of my children, uh, uh, you know, had had gotten to the birthday cake in the in the refrigerator. Uh, we, we, what we would do is we would have birthday cake and then we would keep some, keep it in the refrigerator. And if you're good tomorrow, you can have a piece of the, the birthday cake. And, and as long as it would last, we would do that. It's kind of like a reward for the next day. Okay, we had the birthday. Congratulations have a birthday. now if you want more cake tomorrow, you're going to have to do some good to, uh, you know, and be good and, and whatever. And then you can have as a reward. Well, I had noticed that like the chocolate frosting on the birthday cake ended up all over the house. I mean there 's chocolate frosting on the door handle and the stainless steel refrigerator. We had obviously gone back like two or three times. Um, you know when you 're trying to, to to pick yourself up a little higher so you can get to the cake. Uh, there was chocolate frostings all over the the panels of the interior of the refrigerator. Uh, doorknobs had chocolate frosting on it. Uh, Toys had chocolate frosting on it, especially the ones with the little dolls, like the little Barbie dolls. And 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 I'm collecting all this in, and I'm going, okay, I, I, I need to find out who the culprit is, and I have four children. And so I'm checking hands. Before I say a thing, I'm looking at little hands to see whose hands might have some stuff on it. And I see one child with residue caked on their fingers and on their face, and I think to myself, that's more than circumstantial evidence. Um, and, and, and this particular child, I go up to and I go, can you explain what happened to the cake in the refrigerator? Because it looks like a, a pack of ravenous wolves had opened the refrigerator and grabbed at the cake. Do you know anything about how the cake got ravished by wolves? No, daddy, I don't. You, you don't know how, the, do you think like a pack of wolves got into the house? made their way to the refrigerator and knew to open the refrigerator and then grab at the cake. Yes, daddy, that must be that what happened. And I said, well, I, here's what I don't understand. Like how did the grab the pack of ravenous wolves, how did they get in the house? Like, how did they, oh, we had one of those screen door things. The steel screen door, they opened that door. And then the front door, which has a lock attached to it. Like, how did they get past those two doors to get into the kitchen, to open the the refrigerator door and get to the cake so the, the ravenousness of the wolves could get to it? How did that happen? And this child goes, Donovan opened the door. My, my oldest son, unaware that, that she had like dried up chocolate frosting all over her mouth and face as she's saying this. Now, I normally don't rat out my kids on stage, but I will just say that it's my youngest one and her name happens to be Heaven Spelt. Backwards, and uh, she actually will be featured this month on our video, so later today you will see her, now it's nine, ten years later, of course, and it's probably my most favorite video that we've done thus far, as far as announcements are concerned, and so you'll get to see her in action today. It's interesting to me, though, blame-shifting, lying, deceiving, so we can get out of trouble, starts at a very early age for all of us. And at the same time, if we're honest, that same kind of human disposition lingers on into adulthood. Um, I bet if, 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 if you were to be in an honest moment, and I ask you, have you ever blame shifted before? Have you ever lied to get out of trouble before? Have you ever deceived and manipulated a story so that you look better in the story? If you were in an honest moment, my guess is, like me, you'd go, yeah. I don't necessarily like to admit it, but that is true of me in my human tendency, in my human disposition. I have this sin nature, and I can be drawn to those activities. Today, we're going to compare Saul's response to being called out on his shortcomings to our own, and we'll ask the question, how does this set us back with God? How do I personally struggle with the same things that Saul struggled with, like partially obeying God and rationalizing the actions afterwards? How far have we set ourselves back with God when we almost obey or when we justify our actions? Do we ever struggle with selective obedience and or blame-shifting? I know I do, how about you? If you can relate to that, then you will understand exactly the motivations that we're looking at in our passage today. If you'd open up your Bible, I'd love to see you guys open up to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're trying to raise the lights a little bit in the room, so make sure that when you bring your Bible, you can see what you're reading. I know under the overhang, sometimes we forget the lights. We can make sure we turn those on nice and bright for those folks as well. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're looking at verses 1 through 16 together. And the overarching question is, what are some ways that we set ourselves back in, re- in our relationship with God? What are some ways that we set ourselves backward in our relationship with God? And the first thing we're going to see is we, we fall into the trap of selective obedience. I don't know if you've ever done this in your life. I know I have. Uh, what are some ways that we set ourselves back, take a step back in our relationship with God? Well, we, set, uh, we fall into the trap of selectively obeying. Uh, selective obedience I do the things that I like and, and to do as it relates to obeying God, but some of the things that he wants me to do that I don't necessarily like to do, maybe I don't do those. I selectively obey in the things that I decide to participate in or not. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9 together. Uh, watch as I read, and it says this. Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people. you got to remember that I'm the one that was sent to anoint you as king. God is the one who presided over that. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted that Amalek did what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way they came up uh, out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, Camel and donkey, and so Saul summoned people and numbered them at Telim, two hundred thousand men on foot, ten thousand men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and uh, lay in wait in the valley. And then Saul said to the Can- Canaanites, "Go depart, uh, go down from uh, from among the Amal- Am- Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them." And uh, and so he showed kindness to the people. Oh, for you showed kindness to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And so the Canaanites departed from the Amalekites, uh, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So They took the good, the bad stuff they, de- they, they, they destroyed like God said. What are some ways that we set ourselves back in our relationship with God when we fall into the trap of selective obedience? What we have going on here is what we would call like a holy war. Uh, This is God's command to completely um, annihilate total destruction, complete judgment on the Amalekites, utterly destroy um, uh, a divine war, a holy war where God says, I want you to take out these people, and I don't want you to keep any of the spoils for yourselves. Usually, in ancient times, if you um, destroyed a people, you got to take the spoils of war as your payment. but God was saying no you 're not going to take any spoils of war on this one because this is my war it 's not your war it 's mine, and so I get all the spoils. Destroy everything because it 's all mine. Well, the obvious question goes becomes like, what did they do to deserve this? Why is God taking out an entire people group? What did they do to deserve being destroyed completely and what they did was they preyed upon israel uh, this is in exodus chapter 17 if you want to cross-reference it later today they 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 preyed upon israel at their weakest and most vulnerable state and so when they were coming out uh um, away from egypt out of pharaoh's grip you had lying in wait the amlekites who would come and kind of uh uh do a um uh I forgot the word that happens there. But anyway, the point is they, they took advantage of them when they, were, when they were weak and tired and running away. Their most vulnerable state, ambush, that's the word. They did an ambush on them in their weak. And by the way, they're on their way to Mount Sinai where God was gonna reveal his redemptive plans not only for Israel but for the entire world. So you can even view this as like, uh, you know, cosmic interference, meaning like the enemy, Satan himself, trying to undo this whole plan. Before you get to Mount Sinai, where you receive uh, uh, the Ten Commandments and God's redemptive plan for not only you, but the whole world, we're going to try to annihilate the whole people group. And they preyed upon them in the midst of that scene. And so what God is saying, essentially, is it's okay for you to wipe off the face of the earth, people who are trying to wipe off another people group, off the face of the earth. Now, it's 400 years later, and God seeks retribution for this action. And he says, okay, now I remember what Amalek did. And so now we're going to bring the retribution on. Now, I know this kind of thing, uh, this kind of biblical narrative is really a stumbling block for many. And I can't believe the God of the Bible because he would allow such things, kill the men and women, the the children, uh, everything. And that's why I can't believe the God of the Bible. That's why I can't believe in Jesus Christ. And because of that, I wanna spend some time on this to really kind of answer some questions. First of all, let me just say this. It is very rare in the Old Testament to see this. And when you do see that, there's usually a good, a good reason. If you will uh, uh, kind of double down and study some more and figure out why is God saying let's annihilate this group, there's usually a good reason as, as one that we just kind of mentioned. Uh, they were already on the defensive from this group who was trying to annihilate them. Secondly, I would just submit to you this. The trajectory of our scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament is one where it becomes less and less militant. And you got to know that. So our scriptures, Old Testament to New Testament, by the time Christ comes along, he says, turn the other cheek, which you can make the argument that it's very uh, pacifistic in nature. A a lot of our early Christian uh, writers were pacifists because they took what Jesus said literally. Literally. And so we have a militant God in the Old Testament where he uses his people uh, to enforce his divine destruction on others. To where we go to the New Testament, all of a sudden you're seeing more of a pacifistic kind of a a less militant feel to it. So you got to take that into account. Why do I bring that up? Because there are worldviews, religious worldviews today that are much more militant in their writings meaning they start off peaceful and they turn militant, where Christianity starts off, maybe you could argue a little militant and turns out more peaceful. I think of writings of like uh, Muslim uh, holy writings, um, where the, the nature of the writings get more militant as they go forward. Another thing that I would mention, and this is gonna be kinda interesting. Uh, you might remember the book of Esther, and there's uh, a, some pretty uh, uh, interesting figures there. Mordecai, Esther, they're related. Esther is the queen, she's Jewish, and there's this antagonist in the story named Haman. And Haman tries to take, rid the world of Jews in the book of Esther, right? And then Mordecai goes to Esther and he says, this is why God put you in the place you are. Don't you understand if if he's successful in this, they're gonna have to take you out as well because you are Jewish. Do you know what Haman was? Amalekite. He was an Amalekite. In fact, it says he's an Agagite. If you look in in Esther, an Agagite would be a descendant of Agag, the king that Saul never took out. We just read it. He didn't take him out. And so right there, you see, had Saul done what he was supposed to do, then there wouldn't have been this atrocity that came upon the people of Israel late in the future. Finally, and maybe the most deepest of ironies, the person who reportedly kills Saul in 2 Samuel chapter one, was an Amalekite. So if he would have done what God told him to do, there wouldn't have been a person who could have claimed to have killed Saul in 2 Samuel chapter one. He wouldn't have been around to kill him. He would have been gone. So what am I gonna say all, all this? Yes, God is patient, and yes, he is slow to anger, and yes, he's abounding in love, and yes, he's, uh, he's a faithful God, and he's forgiving to those who want forgiveness and ask for forgiveness. Nevertheless, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. This is huge. And for any of you guys who have been victimized in any such way, I wanna, this should be encouraging to you. God does not leave the guilty unpunished. Either the act of a heinousness will be dealt with on the cross of Christ, or the person himself or herself will receive their due punishment. God does not leave any sin uh, stone unturned as it relates to sin and the guilty will be punished either on the cross of Christ or in their own destruction. Well, Saul then obliges to this command and he says, all right, so this is what I gotta do and so he kind of lists out his perspective on how he does it. We'll see that in verses four through nine. Let's read it again. And so Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Talim, 200,000 men on foot, 10,000 men uh, of Judah and Saul came to the city of uh, Amalek, and, and uh, lay in wait in the valley. And then Saul said to the Kenites, the Kenites, go depart and go down from the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you have showed kindness to the people of Israel when we came out of Egypt. And so the Kenites departed from the Amalekites and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah, as far as Sur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agai, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag Agag, and the best of the sheep, the oxen and the fattened calves and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So they took the good things. They did execute the, the things that weren't useful. That way they would have the plausible deniability of saying, I did do what you said to do. I did do it, and so um, I have an excuse if there's a problem. So he gives mercy to the Kenites because they did the opposite of the Amalekites. They actually helped them on their way out of, of Egypt. Took the king of uh, the Amalekites alive, which was not what he's supposed to do. Kept the, the, the best, the sheep, the oxen, the, the, the lambs, everything that was good, he kept some for himself. which what I would, That's where I get the idea of selective obedience. I'll do partially what you said to do but then I'm going to do what I want to do with the rest of it. Now, I, I mean, I deserve something here. I mean, I'm the one who took them all out. And so uh, the way this works is, you know, we take them over, and then our payment is the spoils of war. The only problem is it wasn't his war. It was God's war. And so God said, I want the spoils for myself. And the way you're going to do that is annihilate everything so I have the spoils of war. Selective obedience. Kept the good stuff, got rid of the bad stuff, could still say, but I did do what you told me to do. Well, in response to selective obedience, we often place ourselves in a position where we have to justify our actions, which is what we're gonna see with Saul. What are some ways that we, get, we set ourselves back in our relationship with God? Well, number one, we fail to, we fall I'm sorry, into the trap of selective obedience, and then we follow that up by justifying our actions. Well, what am I going to do now? I just fell in the trap of selective obedience. If I'm called on the carpet, well, I know what I'll do. I'll rationalize this. I'll justify my actions. And if you're like me, then you understand that as a human condition that we all struggle with. Let's look at this and how Saul does this, and starting in verse 10. It says this, And the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I made Saul king. Why? For he has turned his back from following me, and he's not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. He was told that Samuel, uh, and it was told Samuel that Saul came to Carmel. Behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went to Gilgal. And so Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And And Samuel said, What is the bleeding of sheep that I hear in my ears, the lowing of the oxen that I hear. And Saul said, they, you might circle that, highlight that, underline it, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. You could underline that one. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. And then Samuel said to Saul, stop, stop, I'm done. I take it as sarcastic, stop, I'm tired of the spin. Stop what you're saying, I'm done. What are some ways that we set ourselves back in relation with God, we follow our selective obedience up with justifying our actions. We justify our actions. First of all, let me ask this. Is there anybody in the room in your Bible where it doesn't say, I regret, when he's talking about, uh, I regret making Saul as king? Does anybody have, I repent of making Saul as king? If you have a King James Version, you'll actually have in there, instead of I regret making Saul king, I repent of making Saul king. Um, anybody, anybody have that? That's good, keep the ASV; it's better anyway. Uh, anyway, so yeah, but there are some translations that say repent versus regret. Repent is the idea to change one's mind to turn around and go in a different direction. And, and so how could it be said of God that he would repent? Well, we'll get to that in a second. First, he says, I regret this for two reasons. Number one, because he's turned his back from following me. Number two, because he's not performing my commands. He didn't do as I commanded. And then he says, I regret and I repent of this. Um, How can the God of the universe who never changes, the same yesterday, today, and forever, how can that God repent of anything? And this is what I would call, this is what is called an anthropomorphism. It's the idea of attributing a human characteristic or a human behavior to God. Let me explain to you in your own human terms what's going on with me. I regret this. Um, He's not just a God in heaven who is sovereign checking off boxes on what happens. Well, I knew that was going to happen, check. I knew that was going to happen, check. Check. Of course I knew everything, so check, check, check. No, no, he's emotionally involved in this, and and this hurts me. Like Saul hurt me as God when he did this. And so I regret it, because this actually hurt God. That is Saul's disobedience. In fact, this affects Samuel so greatly that he leaves angrily, and he prays all night long. And he wakes up in the morning, he says, I'm gonna go find Saul and confront him. He, he's hurt because he's talked to God and God says, I, I regret this. And I feel. and then Samuel feels the anguish of God. So Samuel, in a righteous anger, is now feeling the same anguish of God. The irony here is that's how God and Samuel feel. But when they come to find Saul, he's got a completely disposition. He's got a completely different read on the whole situation. I mean, we go back to verse 13 and we see it. Where it says, and Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. And he probably really <laughs> believed it. Like I did what God told me to do. And Samuel said, "What did this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears and the lowing of the, of the oxen? What, what do I hear? And then Saul comes back with, well, they brought them. The people brought them from the Amalekites. And I'll tell you why. Because I've spiritualized this thing because they kept the best of the sheep so we can sacrifice it to the Lord, your God. And then when it's good again, it goes back to we. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. So here's the thing I did the command of God. Well, what's all this this noise I hear of animals? Oh, we just kept the good ones so that we could sacrifice them to you. Plausible deniability, right? And by the way, I wasn't the one who brought them. It was the people who brought them. But the rest where we destroyed, we did it. I'm involved in that one because that's good. You ever done that? I mean, some of it feels like parenting a child a little right? Like our kids do this all the time. And then we realize we're just a, an older version of our kids, right? Where, we, where we, we can spin things in the right direction and we can make it look like our motivation was right and everything was fine. And yet the whole time, he has disobeyed God. God and Samuel have a disposition of sorrow, great grief, regret. They come to, to Samuel I mean, they come to Saul, and they find something different. First of all, he's built a monument to himself. You know what I think of when I think of monument? I think of like a statue outside of a stadium. When you go to like, let's say, a baseball stadium, and you see statues of the, of the greats of old, you know? Like, you know, I just thinking of a certain stadium. Like, like the Willie Mays, or, uh, you know, Willie McCovey, or, or Juan Marichal. You guys don't know the, those names because you don't know good baseball. But anyway... <laughs> you go to the stadium and you see these statues and you're like, that's what he did. He said, look at me. I need a statue. I just took out all the Amalekites. They need to build me a statue. I remember this day for what I did. The problem with that, it wasn't his war. It was God's war. And here he is taking the credit of it. Saul comes, or Samuel comes to him, confronts him on it, and he blame shifts uh, um, uh, he, he says I've done everything God told me to do he actually believes it which tells us something about our own pride and how it leads to self-deception in our own pride we can actually make ourselves bigger than, and all of a sudden we, we, we're deceived on how even the thing played out I believe he actually thought he did everything right he blames the people, not himself this is the how did the wolves get in the kitchen Donovan opened the door <laughs> it's blame shifting right Uh, We all do it, right? Includes himself in the obedience parts. The rest we ought to destroy. I was involved in that. Justifies his actions by making a spiritual excuse. Well, we just kept the good lambs, the perfect ones, because we wanted to sacrifice them to you. Or is that just what you're going to say if you got called on the carpet? I would take the manipulative route on that. And then there's the biggest Freudian slip of all. Did you catch it? Go back to 15, verse 15. Uh, and, Saul, and Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord who? Your God. What is he saying? Not my God, your God. You talk about a Freudian slip. Who was Saul's God? He was his own God. That's why he's building monuments to himself so clearly. Unbelievable Freudian slip saying, you know what? Hey, we did this all for your God, not my God, but your God. After hearing all that, Samuel says, just stop. I'm done. I'm done with the spin. I'm done with all of it. Which brings me to the big idea. Partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience, and yet God is never scared of our failures. Partial obedience is disobedience, and yet God is never scared of our failures. So clearly in our text, it's all about Saul who almost obeys. And all of us probably go, yeah, I've done that before. Almost obeys and then gets called on it because partial obedience is disobedience. But why did I add the part about, but God is never scared of our failures? What's that bit all about? Where do we see that in the text? And, and I would just tell you that when applying certain timeless principles in the Old Testament, you're gonna to have to, especially in this narrative, you're gonna to have to compare Saul to David on some of these things. And I've mentioned this in the past weeks, if you were here, that Saul does some atrocious things, there's no question. He doesn't follow God, he partially obeys. When he's called on it, he doesn't seem to repent completely or genuinely. We'll see next week that he has some kind of uh, uh, verbal uh, acknowledgement, but is it true repentance? And then you have David, who seems to have the heart of God. In fact, it's said that that he's a man after God's own heart. But here's the difficulty between the two of them. David's going to do some more atrocious things than Saul ever did. Like he's going to murder a person to cover up an affair that he had and and so that he can take the woman on as his wife. That's pretty bad, a lot worse than what Saul did, I would say. You could make the argument that that David's sins were worse than Saul's. So why is Saul set aside and God called David a man after God's own heart? You're going to have a theological problem here if you take this timeless principle without considering that God will mercifully and graciously forgive you if you are truly repentant. I would submit to you that Saul is not truly repentant. David was truly repentant, and that's why God can say, I look kindly on you and not on you. There are people in the world who are living on death row who would go to heaven, and there are people who live in this world who never did anything bad enough to go to jail, and yet they'll spend eternity in hell all because they never turned to God and asked for forgiveness of their sin. Does that make sense? It's not the, the, the weight of the sin. It's more of the heart disposition towards God and so that's why I say partial obedience is disobedience and yet God never is scared of our failures. He's not intimidated by our failures. Yes, partial obedience is still disobedience and yet God can still do something about our failures. He can still cover them. He can still forgive them. He can still pardon them. You know, I think uh, um, of some hugely popular movies, um, even if they're 25 years apart, um, how many of you guys have seen Apollo 13? came out, I think, when I was a teenager. Uh, and then recently, Hidden Figures. It's another movie that came out. Both uh, movies centered uh, uh, different storylines, but they center on the idea of, of getting space shuttles back from space back to Earth. And if the trajectory is wrong, and if the speed is wrong, and if the placement of the shuttle is off, then the shuttle could bounce off the Earth's orbit and go right back into space, or worse yet, it could blow up. If it's not perfectly, and so both pictures are are, are all about getting dialed in the math 100% correct so that nothing goes wrong upon re-entry. Nothing goes wrong. Why? Well, because it's an exact science. It's an exact science. And so it has to be perfectly planned for it to work or disaster will come upon it. It's nice to know that God doesn't exactly work that way. You see, if our life's trajectory is off, it doesn't bounce off his master plan and he doesn't burn us up straight right after we've committed a failure. It's true, spirituality is an exact science to a certain extent. Right is right, wrong is wrong. But you have to leave some space for the grace and mercy of God. That when we are off on our trajectory, God can still pardon us along the way. That's why I say partial obedience is disobedience and yet God is never scared of our failures. How many of you would stand arrested with this text today like me? Have I ever selectively obeyed something that the word of God had said in my life? Yes. However ever, Blame shifted when I was called on the carpet for something that I did wrong that I know is not the will of God? Yes. Have I ever used a religious rationale to justify or rationalize an activity that I shouldn't have been doing? Yes. And so what's the difference between what happens to Saul and what happens to me? The difference has to be has to be the heart disposition. I come back to God and I say, I'm so sorry for my sin, I'm sorrowful, I repent, I turn around for my sin. And God says, I can forgive you, I can forgive you. On a side note, let me just say, tell you what scares me about the affirming church and the LGBTQIA plus issues, same sex attraction, Can God forgive it? Heck yes. God can forgive anything based on the work of Christ on the cross. But if we tell people, we just affirm that it's not a sin and and, and it's not a problem, then there's no forgiveness. That's the worst thing you could ever do to a person. So everything's fine, don't worry about it. No, 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 there's something wrong, but God can forgive it. That's the solution. Rather than just saying, Oh, no, nothing's wrong. Don't worry about it. We just affirm that everything's fine. That's like the worst thing you could do to a human being. You're cutting them off from the grace of God when you do that. We say, yes, we believe the word of God and we believe biblical morality as stated in the scriptures. But when we all, all of us, all have fallen short of the glory of God. When we all fall short, we rely on the work of Christ on the cross and that's available to you no matter what you've done no matter what you've done. Partial obedience is still disobedience, and yet God is never scared of our failures. If you're here today and you're wondering how you can be made right with God, it's very simple. You just, in faith, accept the work of Christ on the cross. And what you're doing is you're saying, I don't believe I can make it on my own towards the Lord And so I'm going to receive the gift of God, of Christ dying on the cross for my sin. And I don't care what the sin is. I don't care how atrocious you think it is. I I don't care how far you think God's pushed you and alienated you away because of what you've done. The fact of the matter is Christ died on the cross and the criminal next to him who says, I deserve this. This guy doesn't deserve anything. I deserve it. I'm being put to death because of what I've done. And he asked Jesus, will you remember me in your kingdom? And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. What that shows us is that no matter what you've done, God can forgive it by placing that activity and the penalty for that activity on the cross of Christ. So the wrath of God is settled on the cross of Christ. And what you receive in exchange, he takes on your sinfulness and you receive the righteousness of God so that when we take communion and we take the the cup, the blood of Jesus literally satisfies the wrath of God to where he sees you, not because we take the elements, but because of what it means spiritually. He sees you as perfect. So when I take the, say, the, remember, yeah, of course I remember. So only way I can be made right with God is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we receive and say, yes, I'll take on your perfection. I can't make it on my own. I repent of my sin. I confess of my sin. I say, you're right. I take your definitions of what sin is, not mine. Your word is right. I stand arrested. But if you can look on the cross of Christ instead of me, then maybe you can invite this child into the family of God. That is available to any of you, anybody no matter what you've done, as long as you're wanting to receive the forgiveness from God. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. I wonder if you're here with us today and that's exactly what God's doing in your heart. We believe that God will woo your soul and bring you to himself. And that can happen the first day you get here and it can happen a year after you've been here. And what happens is time after time after time again of us preaching the Word of God, the Spirit of God is wooing in your heart and your soul and saying, yes. It's like breathing in life to your very soul. It's a miraculous activity. It's not something that I can conjure up for you. It's something that God does, and he blows it into your soul to where you say, yes, I can't say no anymore. I've got to have it. Please infuse life in me, regenerate my soul, make me a new human being, so old things pass away and all things become new, that I would die with Christ on the cross and be raised, raised up to a new life, change me from the inside. I, I stand uh, arrested, but I place my faith on the work of Christ on the cross. If that stirs in your soul and I believe God is moving in you and you might be at the very cusp of a changed life that you would be changed from the inside out washed, clean, forgiven pardoned on a new trajectory that is a perfect trajectory towards Jesus Christ if that's you, you say that's me, Lord come into my life I confess, I repent, and I want your son. And I, from this day forward, am going to try my hardest to live for you. And when I mess up, you will forgive me over and over again as he has for everybody in the room. Is that you? Are you here today? If you'd like me to pray for you, and that's happening in your heart right now, would you just raise your hand? Anybody? And if that is you, would you come say hello to me outside? I'd love to know about it. Father, we love you. We trust you. Sometimes we feel convicted because we're more like Saul than we are like the heroes in the Bible. But the beauty of our situation is you took care of that at the cross. You didn't come for perfect people. You came for imperfect people. And you're still in the business of changing us, changing our lives. So we trust in that. Thank
3: you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor David. So um, most of you know who Patty Patricia Neednoggle is. She's one of our missionaries, and she's going to be heading to Brazil here in two weeks. And so I invited her up here, uh, just so that we could uh, introduce uh, to you guys and ask you to pray for her. Uh, She's gonna be going and doing some master training with women leaders in churches. And um, those leaders then will go back to their cities and their villages and train the women in their ministries. And she'll also be training teams that um, are going into remote villages uh, to proclaim the name of Jesus and to share the good news. You know, and, and what's, what's interesting, uh, right now there are 14 of these villages they're going to be going into. And as far as we can tell, they've never heard the name of Jesus. So Patty will be training these teams to go in there. And, um, and it, it, she'll be leaving in two weeks. It'll be an exciting trip for her and for us. Because uh, we partner with with Patty as she does this. So right now um, i 'd like to pray for her, and if you're able, would you just lift an arm, and uh, lift your hand up and pray over um, Patty as I pray with her? So Lord, what a good God you are that you 've raised up uh, men and women that will go into the world and, and share the good news, the gospel. And we'll train people to do that all through the world, to even remote villages. And right now I pray for Patty and her team. Would you bless them? Would you give them safe travels? Uh, Would you give them all that they need to do this training well? And uh, Father, we we do pray for those that will receive this training, that they would uh, be able to take it and use it, and that you would work through them in the mission that you're doing. So, Father, I would pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, Patty has a table out on the patio. You'll get to come. uh, I encourage you to come to that table and talk to her. Um, A couple things that she'll have there. One is uh, a card with some of these uh, people that she's training, the names of them. And you can pray for them over the next four weeks. And also you'll be able to write a, uh, a message to them and Patty will take those uh, to them and you can encourage them. You can tell them um, how much you're praying for them and how important their work is. So if you would do that, that would be that'd be great. Uh, I just highly encourage you to go ch- stand and talk to Patty and, and uh, get to hear all the things that she's doing. So thank you so much, Patty, for being up here. So you'll also have that opportunity to support those, um, those leaders that are coming by name. Uh, you can help support, sponsor them. And um, when you're supporting uh, them, just realize that Patty is one of, of a number of missionaries that this church supports. In fact, uh, 10% of, of, of our budget goes to these missionaries so they can do work here in this community and around the world so because of your generosity we've been able to support many missions going on uh throughout the world so um so because this church is such a generous church um we i just want you to realize that in your giving that's really a worship uh, a type of worship for to god that you're saying god is more important than than even your budget you are you're giving out of a generous heart to him because he is generous to us and that is worship so there's three ways to do that you'll see that on the screen how to how you can do that and uh, i just encourage you to take advantage of one of those ways to be able to give this this week also um, we have a video that's going to show um, what's coming up uh, this week and in the weeks ahead and I understand this is one of David's favorite videos, so pay attention.
4: KFCC, I'm Navaya Hurtado and I'm part of the middle school ministry and I'm glad that you are here with us today. If today's your first time with us, welcome. If it's your second time with us, glad you're back. If you're our first time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. All you do is grab a connected card, fill it out both sides and take it to the welcome counter in the lobby. Or scan the secure code with your phone's camera and let the welcome counter know you filled it out digitally. You can also let us know how we can be praying for you on that card as well. If this is time number two for filling out a connection card, we have a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. Just let us know it's your second time at the welcome counter and it's going home with you. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. If you're watching online, go to cancc.net slash nextsteps. There are many great things coming up at CanCC. Be thinking about who you will invite to join you. August 11th through 14th, Middle School Catalina Summer Camp. With kayaking, snorkeling, hiking, games, prizes, and more on the island of Catalina. August 6th is the last chance to reserve your spot because you leave this Friday. So don't wait, register now while space is available at campcc.net slash Catalina, or for more info, contact Jacob at campcc.net. Sunday, August 13th, special guest artist FFH will be playing in both gatherings. Wednesday, August 16th, worship night at 7 p.m. These are powerful nights encountering God's presence. They continue to grow, so get here early to grab a seat and watch God move. And kids, you don't wanna miss this birth to pre-k is pjs and popcorn come in your pajamas and eat 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 and k through fifth back to school bash with worship scavenger hunt and root beer float this is a night that the whole family will enjoy september growth groups are kicking off next month this is a great time to connect with others in our church it feels like a family as you do life together sign-ups coming in september if you can't wait, email Jim Wire at campcc.net or go to campcc.net slash groups. Sunday, October 8th, Ryan Stevenson in concert at 7 p.m. Camp CC welcomes Dove Award winning and billboard charting artist, Ryan Stevenson. You know his hits, such as Eye of the Storm, Amadeo, and The Gospel. And co-writing, Toby Mack's Grammy nominated number one song, Speak Life. Speak life Tickets available on our website, October 20th through the 22nd Women's Retreat. Ladies, you can now sign up for the Women's Retreat held at Mount Crags in Calabasas at campcc.net slash women. For more info, connect with Allison at campcc.net. of what's going on at Camp CC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to campcc.net.
1: Again, my name is Brandon. I am a pastor here, oversees the high school ministry. Um, You know, as a father of four kids, seven and under, I'm pretty familiar with selective obedience. Uh, That's kind of my world. That's what we live in. Uh, Also, as a father of four, I become more aware of my own selective obedience. So I'm thankful that we have a God who loves us despite that. Um, And it helps me become a better father to my kids and show them that same love. Um, So if there was something um, out of this message that you guys got I would encourage you guys go to your friends go to a family members share that with them invite them here this we'd love to see them next weekend if you're new, we'd love to see you guys out at the table, Uh, fill out a welcome card we can get to know you guys better. Um, Now, as your high school pastor. It would be a shame if I didn't take advantage of me being up, up here on the stage and not drop a shameless plug. Okay, we have an incredible high school ministry. These students are something very special. I've had um, a number of years doing youth ministry. And so to see this group and how they interact with the Lord and how they worship and how hungry they are, is something special to behold. And I've only been here for two and a half months and I'm already proud of this group. Now we have a good problem. And the problem is we are understaffed. We don't have a lot of leadership uh, on our midweeks, on our Sundays, and we're looking to grow that because we want to make sure that we love these students well, and I'm only one person. I can't reach 55, 65, 75, even up to 85 students that we've had on these Wednesday nights. So we are recruiting actively. We need older spiritual brothers. We need older spiritual sisters. Older spiritual fathers and mothers, aunts, uncles, grandparents, whatever you want to call it, we need you guys to come and love on these students. You know, when I think of this generation and the next generation, they're not the church of tomorrow, but they're the church of today. And so it's our job as a church to come alongside of them. To come alongside of them and lift them up because they are going through such a maze. If you look, it doesn't take long to look on social media and see that they've got a lot to face they got a lot to deal with so please come see me out on the patio i'd love to meet you guys if you're interested in joining we need life group leaders we need auxiliary support we need tech support we need everything so please come in and, and see us that being said we want to invite you guys out on the patio for donuts and coffee we'll see you guys next week have a great weekend